everyone, I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown, where we give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are doing an episode-by-episode episode recap of the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. And Spencer, it's Christmas week! <laughs> In August? It's Christmas week! <laughs> I So, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So basically what happened this week is we put a big, big flat pause on the plot. Uh, basically a clean stop in the middle of the season and they just gave us Christmas with the Ted Lasso cast and characters and it did not progress the plot maybe maybe in some small ways but it was really sort of a standalone episode meant to I think just give us Christmas with the cast Spencer what did you think I mean, this should be an episode that have been, that annoyed me. It should have been. They put the plot the, the plot completely on pause. We skipped like how many weeks or months of storyline here? Like we got we, we got their win loss record indicated, and they played like seven or eight games in the meantime. Since at we least, last saw at them. least, I think it's like eight more games. Yeah, seven eight more games. Yeah. We didn't address any of the fallout of the last episode, other than a vague reference, whatever else. And instead, we got a proper British Christmas movie set in the Ted Lasso universe. And it was utterly charming. It was heartwarming. It was wonderful. I delighted in every minute of it. It was the shortest episode we've had yet of the season, and yet they somehow were able to get three separate Christmas movies in there. And I was completely enamored the entire way through. Spencer likes it? I This will be one of my top three episodes of the entire damn series, probably. Wow! I, I, I adored this. I really... This was utter fan service. It should have felt cheap and cheesy, but the Ted Lasso charm carries us through regardless. I was completely over the moon. I never know what's going to pierce that thick, sun-riddled, leather skin of yours (laughs) and that callous, dark, cemented heart. I never know what's going to do it. You could surprise me every week, Spencer. I honestly thought that you were going to come into this and say, what a waste of time. Give me the plot. I can't believe they did this to us. I am I am loving it and charmed that you like the episode. This is great. I, it, I like it. It catches me off guard sometimes, too. As you said, I'm pretty, um, not, not only emotionally, but mostly physically dead inside in a way that just shines through in most of the material that we do. But the just power of the charm of this show can sometimes just cut through to the core of this husky exterior. That's incredible. So I liked it. But I'll tell you, um, so this is, I'll tell you my relationship with these types of episodes. So I have some shows. I mean, obviously, I love television. That's why we do these podcasts. Sure. And I have some shows that really have stuck with me through the years. Like uh, The West Wing is one. The sure. Office is another. Um, and let's just use those two, but there are more. And what I do, what I find myself doing every Christmas is like Christmas, maybe the 23rd or Christmas Eve. I will turn on just Christmas episodes of my favorite shows to watch <laughs> so that I can have my favorite characters yeah. doing Christmas with me. And so basically what I wanted to, what I could wish I could do is put a pause on my review of this episode and just Until Christmas Eve. put it in rotation on the 23rd I, and let you know how did it re- how does it really resonate with me when Christmas the Christmas apparatus is going on. That that is one aspect of this episode that I had to just stop for a minute and go, "Okay, I'm going to shift gears completely from anything we've been doing previously, from anything that I was expecting, and just take this, incongruous as it is, out of time. Because having a Christmas episode in the middle of August, after the very plot-heavy drama we've been getting previously, was a bit of a whiplash. But if you're able to go through it, you, you get a great experience. 
Okay, well, we are going to recap the episode and continue taking, uh, discussing our takes and thoughts on the episode. We are going to go through our segments. We have segments galore here on The Lasso Lowdown. We start with Biscuits with the Boss. Spencer brings a dessert to the episode. Then we do Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. We do a recap. My man Spencer leads a recap every week, heroically, every week, putting in the work to do the recap. Then we award train wreck of the episode. Spencer, I don't think we got a train wreck of the episode this episode. I, I, I don't even know if we need that segment. Um, we're nah, gonna, we're, we're I don't, gonna, I don't no, know if it really no. works. We I don't are, know if it really works. We are podcast professionals. We are picking someone to rain on for even this wonderful parade. Okay, that's right. Podcast professionals, we don't scrap segments, so we're going to do it. Train wreck of the episode, then we do a Sports Center Top 10 where we call out 10, 10 on the nose, not 9, not 11, things that we liked about the episode, and we wrap up with a very sincere segment called Ted's Life Lessons, and it is going to be, you talk about sincere this week, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, just saccharine, folks. It's going to be so sweet at the end of this episode. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into our recap before we do so a little housekeeping here on the lasso lowdown if you enjoy our podcast you can go to any podcast platform anyone you choose the one you're listening on right now type in mangum talks those are the keywords that's all you need to know all of our podcasts will pop up there's plenty of podcasts galore of spencer and myself gabbing away on all things such as uh, favorite television shows favorite movies uh, items du jour. We even have some pod- a podcasts where we talk about soap. That's right, soap. So mm-hmm. we can talk about anything. And if you like hearing us talk, there's plenty of content out there. So just type in Mangum Talks and check out our other podcast. But the issue at hand today is season two, episode four, Carol of the Bells. I think I want to start with Biscuits with the Boss. Spencer, what dessert did you bring for us this week? Well, you know, continuing a trend of my, you know, dead heart finding a way to spring to life once again, that cheesecake last week, man, that was good stuff. I was so enamored, I decided the only way to better experience it was to do it Costco style. So I got a massive goddamn serve 12 people Costco cheesecake and cut myself a slice that's at least eight inches across. Okay, so I'm seeing some fruit on the top of that. Is that a fruit compote on the top of that cheesecake? There is a strawberry, there is a strawberry kind of minced strawberry slash jam covering the top of it, a delightful crust on the back back and beneath, and what looks like delicious cheesecake in between. I'm going to quite enjoy this over the course of this episode. I hope our listeners maybe have something equivalent. So last week I asked you about the crust situation. I hand up, admitted my country, my backwoods, my basicness, and said that I like the Oreo crumble mm-hmm. as the crust. I Here's the next thing I want to ask you. Spencer, have you ever had cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory? Actual I, cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. It would feel wrong to go there and not get one from my point of view. It's like, it's in the damn name. We're sharing a cheesecake before we leave, even though we just ate 25 pounds of overpriced food to even get to this point. Yeah, well, the food, I'll rant about the Cheesecake Factory food on it. That's a different thing. Just the cheesecake. There's usually, in most Cheesecake Factories, like a separate, even area to get the cheesecake. Large display area kind of thing. So here's the thing. On this podcast network, we've had friends of ours just talk, use the Cheesecake Factory cheesecake as a barometer for bad cheesecake. I've heard this everywhere. Like, it's very commonplace to say, oh, well, this is pretty good. It's not crap like the Cheesecake Factory. I'm here to tell you, folks, I actually think Cheesecake Factory cheesecake is pretty good. Like, yeah, am, I, am I alone in that? No. it's one. Of, it feels like it's the consistent yuppie pissing on things kind of response. It's that, oh, Cheesecake Factory, that's got to be shit. It's like, have you had one? They got way too many options. I mean, way too many options of cheesecake. But yeah, I've never Shout had out. a bad. I've Shout never out had Reese's. A, <laughs> that was a pretty good one. I've never had a bad one. I think they're always pretty solid. I've, it's a, it's the classic kind of. This is a brand 
this is a reliable expectation of the experience. It's not going to knock my socks off, but I can go there and count on the fact I'm going to get solid cheesecake. Yeah, I'm going to start with the life lessons from Lee. Kids, don't be too cool to enjoy life. Yeah. Don't be too cool to not in, to to enjoy the Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. I'm here to tell you it's pretty good. Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone in that, Spencer. A reminder to our listeners. The basic things are often basic because they're good. That's how it goes. Yeah, get the cheesecake when you go to Cheesecake Factory. That's uh, that's our recommendation here on the Lasso Lowdown. We can now switch to Tea Time with Lee. I This segment is, this is the easiest week I've ever had. Please. Christmas? Christmas? Are you kidding me? I can just, uh, there's so many Christmas teas that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose, I literally have like seven in my tea cabinet. I chose one at random. This is Twinnings of London. Very popular brand, Twinnings of London. Mm-hmm. And this is their Holiday Berry. Lift your spirits this season with the irresistible fruit flavors of this mouth-watering tea. It is naturally caffeine-free, like most holiday teas are. Most holiday teas are caffeine-free. They're usually not really tea. Um, they're usually like a, like an herbal tea, so it's like a lot of like other stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this. I am a big fan of Christmas tea, holiday tea. It, they pretty much all taste the same. There's clove, there's cinnamon, there's hints of fruit. It's light. It's caffeine-free. You can drink it all day. It's Christmas in a cup. God bless it. It's one of the great things about the Christmas time is the holiday teas. I actually usually get into a rhythm of no coffee mornings mm-hmm. um, because it's not it's not necessarily necessary that I get wired right away. Right, I don't have to go to work for something. I usually start with uh, with holiday tea in the morning. Um, cut my caffeine load during the Christmas break. I'm a big fan of Christmas tea. I'm going to try this one right now. Survey says. Perfect. It's great. Christmas tea. This one, absolutely. Uh, I'm tasting clove and berry, and it's uh, it's really good. So yeah, if you've never had Christmas tea, that's like a whole. It's like when you go to like a tea store, it's like the whole. There's a whole shelf for it. There's like a whole thing for Christmas teas. All of them are great. Uh, give them a try. And like I've mentioned on previous podcasts, um, you can get a local. Oftentimes you can get local blends of this stuff. And mm-hmm. Christmas tea is very very popular for local blends. So if you're at like a local farmers market or like a boutique or something, try your your local Christmas blends. Those are usually pretty good. All good right. Stuff. I think it is time for us to jump into our recap. Spencer, are you ready to lead the recap for Season 2, Episode 4, Carol of the Bells? A very Christmas episode of Ted Lasso. Yes, indeed. Uh, the team starts off engaging in their two new Christmas traditions. They're now doing a secret Santa and a half day for Christmas. Uh, this case with justification of resting their legs for the Boxing Day game the next day, which they... So, Christmas, celebrate- so, th- so Spencer, this is Christmas Day, right? We're covering one Christmas day, day. It's Christmas Day. Not, okay, got it. It seems like everybody's having a blast. Does your office do an equivalent of Secret Santa? Because I don't think I've ever been in an office that hasn't done something along those lines. I've never been in one that does. Really? Yeah, my, yeah, my company doesn't do a lot of that stuff, but I, I know it's pretty popular. Um, but I've, I'll tell you this, hand up, Spencer. I have never participated in a actual proper Secret Santa. I've never How done have it. You in my avoided life. it. They're endemic. I don't know. Never done it. Or like, or like, what is that? White Christmas, Dirty Christmas, or whatever. Well, you know the thing like the Office did, where it's like second Office reference to the episode, white where elephant it's like kind of thing, you, yep. white. There you go, White Elephant, not White Christmas, White Elephant. Have you ever done that one? I do that. I do that with my new firm. We do that all the time. Which I honestly, I prefer that to Secret Santa. Secret. It removes a lot of the pressure. It's just a big collection of gifts, and let, let luck decide what comes your way. 
Oh, that's true. You don't have to like get a special gift for an individual person. You just get something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Much, that makes sense. Which I much prefer with coworkers. Much more pleasant experience. Center of a party kind of thing rather than let's do the gift exchange now. But you know, it's all it's all part of the fun. And clearly, these guys are having a blast with it. We get to see a few of the gifts exchanged while Isaac sits in King Santa regal format, lounging in his chair at the center of the room while uh, Christmas in the Hollies by Run DMX plays in the background. Run DMC. Run DMC, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I said it wrong. Uh, among the gifts, as Co- Isaac calls them forward, Colin uh, is the apparently one guy that got the non-alcohol gift, because as is very common in these kind of gift exchanges, everybody just buys alcohol. Uh, but he got a scarf yep. by Bumbercatch, which he apparently finds absolutely awesome. So, great for both of them. Yeah, man. Knitting sues me. Apparently. The new kit man, I think in the background, got a massive fat stack of cash. So... Good he did. <laughs> no, not everybody's hating Will's performance. I, I'd like to point out the players are appreciating him. Who looks just ab- completely flabbergasted at what he just opened. Uh, meanwhile, Ted is getting a very meaningful inscribed photo from Nate of the two of them at their first win, where Nate famously jumped into Ted's arms. The two of them share a great moment with respect to that. Beard is discussing the idea that Though they're, you know, celebrating responsibility and all drinking on this day for their half day before the boxing game day the next, they do kind of need to win this one so that they can finally have more wins than losses. This is our first moment of realization that a lot of time has passed since the last episode. A lot of time. We've jumped ahead to the point that we now have the record, which I wrote down is four wins, four losses, and 14 Ds. Nuts. Um, Which... (laughs) A lot of time has progressed, draws, clearly. Maybe? Draw? Uh, yes, they're draws. Yes. I, just like, I love how they wrote just D's nuts next to it. That's a college it's a college whiteboard right there. 4-4-14, so they are they're smack dab at 500. Yeah, I looked it up. I finally now understand the, how the point and promotion system works in the Championship League. Would you like me to give a brief recounting of this? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. So it's a point system to decide where you rank compared to everybody else. You get three points for a win. You get one points for a draw. You get zero for a loss. Uh, there are, twi- uh, as we see that they have now scored 26 points listed at the bottom, which adds up perfectly for those kind of totals. There are 46 games in a season. So that leaves that they got 24 games remaining. The, and here's what I actually understood this incorrectly. A lot of games. Damn. A lot of games. Also a lot more promotion and relegation than I thought. It's not just the best and it's not just the worst. The top two teams by points get promoted automatically from the championship league to the premier league. While a third team is also promoted following a playoff tournament against the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth ranked teams. So three teams each year are promoted up to the Premier League. While three, three teams, teams? Pre- yes, yeah, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, I, they, now that is something they left out of season one. I thought it was just one team getting demoted. No, that they really seem to indicate that was how it worked. No, no, it's constantly teams are moving up and down in the in, in the British football leagues. It's really it's really interesting. Um, so as said, the team that scores the most playoff win, wins the playoffs, also gets in as the third team. Now, I put to put these points in perspective, I looked it up for the last two years. In 2019, the top two teams had 83 and 93 points, respectively, at the end of the season. Again, our team has 26 right now. The third team got into the playoffs. It's the lowest playoff team. The lowest playoff team by points got in with 70 points. That was the lowest that they were able to sufficiently make it into the playoffs to then have a chance to be that third team. In 2020, 
the points were the points were inflated. Top two teams had 91 and 97, and the lowest playoff team had 77 to make it into the playoffs. Now, okay, so here's what what I'm hearing is our boys got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I did the math. Let's say 70 is their goal. It's a gener- It's a low. It's a, it's a low point year. They need 44 more points in 24 games. That means at a minimum they need to win 10 of those and draw all remaining 14 to make it into the even the playoffs. So doesn't mean they're screwed, but it means they kind of need to go on a run and they kind of need to go on a run now. Yeah. That, that first of all, bravo with the sports research here. That was incredible, Spencer. No, it, all right. So they really do. They're going to have to win like like a good like 75% of their games on the way home unless they they draw a bunch and don't lose. But yeah, they either need to win a hell of a lot or they need to not lose a single game from here on out. Those are your okay. options. Okay. That's not easy, but if so any team- let me. I'd mm-hmm. like to offer your criticism of the of the show. Like, wouldn't it be more engaging if they kind of gave us these hints? Like, why isn't the show telling me what you just told me? We seem to see it around the margins of where everyone's just kind of celebrating and living in the moment, while a few of the people that are more the data-focused individuals are starting to slowly freak out more. Because some of the characters we see that have the most tension this episode at certain things that are referenced are our math guys, Beard and Higgins. Two of them are the ones that are having to bear the weight of adult responsibility through all, all of this, and they're the ones that are starting to get worried about the the uh, potential win-loss successes and also the finances of the team. Issues that we have placed on pause to celebrate in this episode. For sure. I hope in the next couple episodes they kind of give us... They don't. I mean, it doesn't have to be super in-depth, but they do need to say, like, okay, here's the number of points or, or even more basic than that. Here's the number of games left. Here's the number we have to win. Like, we yeah. need some barometer for the success well, they need to have for the rest of the season. To, to offer a major league reference, which is our main show, we were, the main movie we were comparing to last season, we need the equivalent of that pinup where they're removing each article of her clothing to yes. indicate how many wins they need left. Probably yeah. less, you know, uncomfortable than that is now in a modern era, but some equivalent of that. I know, and after that Roy Keeley scene in the last episode, we know that they're willing to go there. There is this is Apple <laughs> Plus, man. This is HBO material. Absolutely. Uh, they, they, they are our various members of the management group that are now here together, which includes Keeley, notably joining the Diamond Dogs, are discussing Ooh. what their plans are for the day. Uh, while old Christmas favorite uh, Mele Kalikimaka by Ben Crosby and the Andrew Sisters plays in the background. We get a lot Mele of Christmas movies. Kalikimaka is the we, place to be. We get a lot of Christmas music this episode, practically every Christmas song, so I'm going to try to name them when they come out, but there are some that are even playing in the background that I don't catch. Mele Kalikimaka is like one of those songs that it's one of those classic songs where it gets stuck some, stuck in my head for like four days and I don't know a single word of the lyrics. I'm just... Yeah, absolutely. It's classic Christmas song that's background noise. That's what it is. Nate is spending it with his family because he finally has enough money to buy something nice for his dad, who apparently continuing a run of difficult dads just hates everything, so he's hard to buy for. Yeah. Beard is spending it with Jane, where they're going to a Uh-oh. pagan ritual at Stonehenge, up my alley. Which <laughs> Yeah, that's right where Spencer would be. <laughs> uh, which sounds great, but uh, as they've recently broken up, they're apparently deciding to go as friends for something they previously purchased. Uh, just suggesting, asking you, same way that Ted offered. Good idea or bad idea? 
Well, that's going to be... What about you, Keely? Yeah, I um, <laughs> I don't think they're broken up. I mean, I think that this is one of those couples that, like, they live in drama. They're constantly back and forth. But they'll probably go to this Stonehenge thing and sleep with each other afterwards. I don't think that they're... I don't think they're broken up. Like, when I have co- friends like that that are in one of those relationships and they're like, every Friday, they're like, oh, we're broken up. And, like, every Saturday morning, like, they're not... You know, like, that sort of thing. I just... When they come and they go, we broke up, I just look at them and go, no, you didn't. See you next Tuesday. No, you didn't. Nope. You're still going to keep hanging out with the guy. So that's what they're in. They're they're in that spin cycle. Well, I won't name names, but we've been to weddings before where couples had broken up but decided to go to a wedding together, and that worked out disastrously. So there are scenarios of where this could go remarkably poorly. Yeah, don't do that. Don't try to be the adult. Like, let yourself feel the thing that you're really feeling. Don't try to be the adult and go go to the thing with the person you broke up with or who broke up with you. Like, just don't do it. Just, just, no, you you need some space. Yeah. So Beard's doing that. Keely, meanwhile, is christening the first year of what's going to be an annual tradition of sexy Christmas. Which she describes... <laughs> I love the noises these guys make. They can just scrape cartoon noises by the end of this. They're making just cartoon sound effects. But <laughs> in the Keely story here. She describes a swinging Sinatra Vegasy Christmas for adults with dress-up, sipping martinis, sitting by the fire, and then it's going to be like that. Woohoo! Yeah, Keely. You know what? That's the thing. The Diamond Dogs have assembled, but Keely is seemingly the most popular person in the room. Like yeah. they, lo- they are eating up everything she says. The homecoming queen has stepped in to check on the nerds, kind of thing. Everybody's having a blast with this. Uh, Rebecca, who also walks in, is immediately welcome among the group. Love the vibe everybody's having right now. Is having a who Christmas gets her a drink? Uh, it's Ted that gets her a drink. Okay, all right. Just want to point that. Out. Yep, absolutely. Not suggesting anything there at all, are you? Uh, Rebecca? Uh, I'm going to have a full episode of it, my God, friend. you are. God, <laughs> a- after the last episode of her, like, spitting up the, uh, the spitting up the biscuit at the thought, this episode is like, ah, let's give the shippers a bone. I know. So if you've, you're just joining us here on the Lasso Lowdown. Uh, Spencer taught me the phrase shipping uh, podcast to go, uh, mm-hmm. which means basically you just sort of wish two people into a relationship. And I've been doing that with Ted and Rebecca. We thought it was dead last episode. I think it's got some signs of life there's a few blips on the heart monitor and uh spencer and i don't watch the episode at the same time so i'm gonna let people behind the curtain a little bit i watch it but you typically before he does and i'll send him cryptic gifs uh or gifs or however you want to pronounce it uh on your on on his phone like i'll just Mm -hmm. send him the cryptic ones and this week i sent him charlie brown christmas Mm -hmm. and i sent him a kid driving a ups truck (laughs) because we're shipping (laughs) baby yeah yeah well said well done (laughs) <laughs> they're either the most delightful platonic couple we've ever seen, or there's hint, they're suggesting hints. Either way, I'm yeah. happy to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, on the other hand, is going to a wonderful Christmas party at whose house? Elton John. Did you get the reference there? Uh, the what? The reference that Ted says in response to that? No. Well, f- uh, well I'm going to get there. But yeah. uh, I think the fact that this is an Elton John party is the first of multiple Love Actually references in this oh, thing. Because yeah. if you remember, right. the, the, right. the old rocker goes to the Elton John party on Christmas Day. Yeah, One of many Love Actually references. Beautifully caught right there. Ted's response is a thing of beauty. Please say it. Hold me closer, Tiny Dancer, Prancer, and Vixen. Woo! Old-timer! Loud. I <laughs> laughed out loud at that line. It's genius. I loved it so much. So I'm on record as saying I watch this show in large part because of the, the, the Tedisms and the jokes and the pop culture references. I'm putting this one number one on my big board of Tedism, Spencer. Absolutely. Hold me closer, Tiny Dancer, Prancer, and Vixen. That is a that is an all-timer. 
that that is absolutely wonderful. It's perfectly timed. It's it's a thing of beauty. Apparently, other things of beauty that happen at this party is that they all just cluster around the piano and sing carols with Elton John. That's great. While Rachel Weiss and Daniel Craig do a puppet <laughs> show. That's a that's I'm a Mad in. Libs. That's a celebrity Mad Libs. Well, I didn't even know the two of them were a couple. But dear God, is that a hot power couple that I didn't even know existed? But For sure. it, it sounds like an absolutely wonderful party. Um, sounds which, like double O heaven to me. Thank you. Uh, Higgins, meanwhile, it, him and his family are going to open Christmas presents and then do the same thing they do every year. Host an open house for the players who have no family in town. Which Keely's at her heart immediately just melts at the thought of it. And mine does too. It's a really nice gesture that Higgins does. Hasn't been the most successful year to year. They usually only get about two players, but... That was kind of sad to hear. It was, yeah. And it seems like that that's his anticipation this year. Is that they're going to keep it going for the few players that want to show up so they've got a home away from home. Even if not much really happens during it. Uh, He invites Ted, because Ted's, you know, very much removed. I appreciate the offer, Higgy Smalls, but I'm all good, baby, baby. That one ranks high, too, man. That was so well done. I appreciate <laughs> the offer, Higgy Smalls, but I'm all good, baby, baby. Very if only, good. If Woo! only he'd Two said strong it. ones. If only he'd said the baby, baby, right. It would have been better, but still, great. Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. Uh, if instead, he's going to be doing a very, what is a, apparent to everyone in the room dumb idea of spending a FaceTime Christmas with his son, enjoying Yuletide cheer in two dimensions. So wait, he's going to spend all day on Zoom? That's apparently what his plan oh, is. Yeah, okay. Huh. Never heard of that okay. before. Okay, well Welcome said. To, Robert. W- well, it's like, it's what all of America's <laughs> done for like 18 months. Ah, the life we live. Can't recommend it to others if they have another way around it. Um, Jamie walks in, wishes everybody a happy a Merry Christmas, particularly Keely, who seems legitimately happy to see him. It seems that everybody's warming to Jamie. However, yeah, they are. Uh, but I want to. I wanted to stop you there. You did something right there. You did Mary, Mary happy. Here, here's my question for you. It's my understanding that our our friends across the pond say Happy Christmas. Which, Why which, do they go with Merry Christmas here? I don't know because we used to as well. You know, you know, the night before Christmas, it notably ends with Happy Christmas, and that's an American. I thought that's story. what they say in Britain. I thought they say Happy Christmas. It's an American show, and everybody goes back and forth on things. What yeah. Can you say? Okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, back it, to Jamie. As I said, everybody's warming to Jamie, but Jamie's still Jamie. Because apparently the man screwed up Secret Santa. <laughs> he got the oh, message. He secret. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know he didn't know he had to get a gift because the email said Secret Santa and I didn't want to ruin the surprise, did I? Oh god, did how you, his mind works. Did you catch Rebecca in the back go, yeah. Oh god, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> the team management unites. And in record time, with professional preparation, they wrap a bottle of desk whiskey and get it ready for market. With Jamie offering the immortal closing lines of, God bless me, everyone. Thank you, Tiny Tim. Let's put that on a t-shirt. And at 5.09 into the episode, belated by the standards of this season... Well, it's 5.09, but you do get 43 seconds of some sort of, like, weird Apple Plus promo at the beginning of this thing. So it's really 4.27. Um, So it's not, the record is 5.30. It's not as close to the record as you would think, but it's still a long cold opening. Well, I think it's probably the longest one of the season so far. Um, Yeah, it is. And our intro begins, and they made it special for this episode. Okay, pause right here. Spencer, you famously 
on this podcast between season one and season two. We were doing our predictions. You said you thought they were going to change the intro. You were upset about it. You were preemptively angry at them changing the, the credits. They did not do it. Are you okay with this change? But this episode is a short film in the middle of the season. It is its own universe and its own thing. I don't care at all. It was Okay, the- so Spencer's good with it. He gets the check mark. It, it was basically a throwback to all those Christmas puppet movies yeah. like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or the little drummer boy that we saw growing yeah, up. Yeah, those little claymation things. I thought it was just brilliant. I thought it was cute. Yeah, because we got to see everybody else now. It wasn't just Ted. We got to see all the other characters and actors now show up to join him in this dance. So, it's charming. It's great. The whole episode is. Let's continue. Keely is preparing for sexy Christmas. She pits on a record of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Ellie, by Ellie Fitzgerald. She gets the lights and the stockings up, including a truly hideous stocking le- stocking leg lamp, which I guess checks both both, both uh, checkboxes right there. But still is that a horrible. Christmas story reference? Uh, yes, it could well be. It also fits into the Vegas uh, Frank Sinatra vibe that she's going for things too. She did say it would be Vegasy, yeah. Uh, there's a chocolate fountain going on, which Keely just can't help but to directly enjoy. She pours martinis while removing the pits that she previously mentioned last season that she found horrifying. Good callback reference right there. Yeah, great consistency. And as she hangs the mistletoe over the doorway, the doorbell rings. And we get to see her own preparations as she approaches the door. And, uh, dude, I've got to ask, how does Keely look? You who are very fond of her. Uh, she looks great. Um, yeah, she looks, she looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, I don't have the words for it. Maybe they'll come to me as you continue the podcast. Well, let, let's see. Maybe, maybe some sage poet's going to offer a perfect description of this particular attire that she's in. We'll, we'll find see. out. Uh, of course, it's not Roy. It's Phoebe, because they telegraph that to all, to all end, who seems less shocked than just generally emotionally distressed. Doesn't even really react to Keely and Lingerie. Just kind of runs past her. Right. Roy follows, carrying gifts, looking wicked smart in a beautiful suit. Keely, like... Keely, like me, apparently doesn't check her texts regularly and missed the fact that Roy uh, apparently told her that his sister would be called in for surgery. I guess she's a surgeon. And Ooh. so Speedy is spending sexy Christmas with them, which is admittedly a more than mild damper on the affair. But luckily, there's still December 28th coming up, which is apparently the sexiest day of the year. They will reschedule. Keely takes the news fairly well. But the problem is that Phoebe has been in a hell of a mood for the entire week. Now, Roy is focused on this. He's being present. He's being a properly ad- proper adult. He finally turns around and sees Keeley and says, Holy fucking shit. You look incredible. Speaking for all the audience there, yeah, one Roy Kent. Giving Keeley the compliment and the kiss that she so very much deserves. Uh, people... Learn to compliment your significant other the way Roy does, because, man, is that a powerful statement right there. Yeah, Keely looks incredible. Roy is pretty clutch in noticing it and and giving her that compliment. I I will point out, this is the first time we've ever really seen Phoebe kerfutzed, right? She's always in a good mood. So, you know, that's something. Yeah, it seems like it's set set Roy off a little bit that she's in this kind of uh, bit of a stink. It's not something he's used used to dealing with with her. Meanwhile, at the Higgins house, gifts are being given out while a photo to Cindy Clawford sits in memoriam and Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys plays in the background. A classic Christmas scene. So they bring in a, a, a gift. It's obviously a surfboard wrapped. Hey, do you ever get those? Let me ask you, do you ever do this, this joke? Do you ever get the gift where it's like it's wrapped and like, let's say it's a basketball, right? So they just wrap the basketball, right? So it's just it's a big ball. And then you shake it and go, hmm, what is that? Shoes? Do you ever do that? Like the, the like. 
the fake guests? Uh, no, not very often growing up. Typically for my, typically for my parents, if it was a gift that was so damn obvious or so damn massive, there'd be no point in wrapping it. It would just be under the tree. It's like, no, okay. there it is. Because if people, if people, that's just one free one I'm giving out there to everybody. If they wrap an obvious gift, always give the fake. It's good for a chuckle in any Absolutely. Give, the, yes. give the fake one. Oh, what is this, an anvil? Yeah, something like that. You gotta, you have to complete the dad joke experience. It's part of the tradition. 100%. I, everyone's having fun. They're getting ready for guests to arrive in one hour. Unfortunately, Sam is that kind of well-meaning SOB that arrives an hour early for a party. People don't ever do that. It's a dick move. I don't mind it. Just want to point out. If you're ever I, coming to my house, you want to get there early, come on over. We, this we'll put this you is one of, the, one of the things. If, we're, if you know the place and you know the people and they're okay with it, great. Don't do it for your first time coming to someone's home. It's not, it's not polite. However, it's Sam. We can never really begrudge him too much for this. And luckily, Higgins has already an impressive array of English... English Christmas traditional snacks on the ready to tide them through through dinner. Dude, shout uh, out to the English. Like, here's some snacks for you. Mince pies? Pigs <laughs> in a blanket? Holy crap, that's a meal. Yeah, th- 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 this, this is not, you know, a tide over. This is the end result you're offering me now. How wonderful. I appreciate this. Uh, Higgins, making small talk, asks Sam about what he, you know, does for home for Christmas, what he feels about the Christmas holiday. Uh, but Sam indicates that apparently Christmas just reminds him of, of, of uh, colonialism. So, yeah. Which, you know, it's a line that, it's classic Sam, but at the same time, a full half of Nigeria even rolled their eyes at that. Because for those that are playing the home game, Nigeria has more has more than 80 million Christians, almost like half the population. They have more Christians than any country in Europe. They have more Christians I actually than thought. I actually thought this one was too much. You know, they beat the, the you know, because they did that with the the tiny army man. You know yeah. that. Well, it reminds me of colonization. imperialism. Like, yeah, like I felt like this was too much because I I'm with you. Like I I know people that from are from Nigeria and live in Nigeria right now, and they celebrate Christmas. Like I'm just saying. Are you saying they're all pawns of imperialist powers? I mean, come on, no. dude. There's, the Christian Church has been in Nigeria since the 1400s, man. It's your own. You're, it's your own traditions at this point. Yeah, it was a reach. Perhaps, Sam, perhaps Sam's from the northern part of Nigeria and is Muslim, or just isn't practicing. Who knows? For him, at least, it's a foreign, it's a foreign tradition. But it's Sam. Even if he's going to drop a line like that, he's still going to be polite about it and still look forward to enjoying it with Higgins's family. Um, one of Higgins's sons, and I'm just going to refer. Wait to a second. As, he brings a he brings a. a dish. Oh yes, I'm sorry. I've got it here. Uh, Sam, of course, can't be too much of a Debbie Downer. He's brought a dish of jalapeno rice and goat meat, which he's substituted chicken for. Okay, so I'm going to just a, just a quick, like, small... By the way, it's storming here, so I apologize for that in the mm-hmm. background. But you know what it is, what it is. Podcast professionals. We want get to get it get the podcast out the day after it airs, so that's what mm-hmm. we're doing. Um, this is jollof rice, actually. Thank and, you, sir. And um, I've eaten jollof rice a lot in my life, I can tell you. It is extremely, extremely good. It's a uh, tomato-based um, rice... Basically, they, they cook it in tomatoes, tomato paste, onions, and they cook it for a long time. And it's traditionally served with goat meat. And goat meat is like little chunks of goat meat that are bone in. So you're kind of like eating it with your hands a little bit as you go. If you ever have the chance to order jollof rice anywhere, always order it. One one small thing, though, a lot of times they cook it with palm oil. I'm not a big fan of palm oil for the environmental impacts of it. So you can often get it without palm oil, whether they do like uh, peanut or canola oil or something like that. But jollof rice gets a two thumbs up from Lee. A big recommendation there. So I'm taking it you have a much better view of goat meat than apparently Higgins does. 
I, lo I really love goat meat, and, it, and it's it's especially good served with something like jollof rice with a little spice to it. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a funny joke, right? Where Higgins is like, yeah. eh, I don't know about goat meat. Well, um, well, it's, it's, it's a pretty inoffensive taste, though. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Throughout the episode, Higgins is the one that's only politely accepting a lot of these dishes from foreign countries while clearly not being fond of what the description is. <laughs> yeah, I'm the type of guy months. that like... I'm the type of guy where he would have handed the jollof rice over and said, yeah, we normally serve it with goat meat. I made it with chicken. And I would have been like, oh, uh, well, yeah, you had me till the bone in. I, don't make me work for my food, man. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to deal with the bones in that. But otherwise, it sounds delicious. Uh, one of Higgins' sons walks over and I don't know their names. I don't even know if we've been told their names. Think we're we just going to say Higgins' sons as we do this. Uh, yeah. We're just going to generically refer to them as if the same Higgins' son does all these things because there's a lot of Higgins' sons that are doing a lot of things in this episode. But I, one of the middle Higgins sons comes over and compliments Sam for sticking it to Dubai Air, which is the only reference we get to that this episode, and immediately places Higgins in the kind of awkward situation when he tries to laugh off, because clearly this is still a bit of a live wire kind of scenario. Uh, yeah, uh, fuck him. Yeah, <laughs> our finances, dear God. We'll come back to that on another episode, I'm sure. Ted is meanwhile doing FaceTime Christmas with his son. His son got him a mini dartboard. Nice is this a tiny dartboard or did I become a giant? Absolutely. While Ted, what did Ted get his son, who is all of what? Nine? Ten? What? I'll, it's probably around that range. What did he get him? A drone. How irresponsible of me, considering all the issues of privacy these days. Yeah, I can't believe he got his, his son is like six. He got him a drone. I think, he, I think he's a little older than that. At least the actor is at this point. But All right, let's, let's say he's 12. That's still a crazy thing to get a kid that young. It, it's dumb. It's straight up dumb. He's either A, going to lose it or break it in a moment, or B, he's going to permanently disfigure a neighboring child. That's what's We're going to happen. We're getting a lot of trouble. Getting yeah. a lot of trouble. <laughs> it, nothing good will happen in this. Even Ted seems to know that. He refers to it later as my overpriced guilt gift and hubris thy name is Ted. While that happens, Ted takes the opportunity to chat with his ex-wife, and it seems Ooh. fair to say... Two of them seem like legitimately non-forced friendly about this. That about that a fair read? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Ted is going to create that, right? I mean, it, it's Ted. She's going to have to be, yeah, she's going to have to be a real stick in the mud to not get that with Ted. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm impressed. I don't know. I was, I was trying to create the narrative that she was eventually going to come crawling back to Ted. I'm not quite sure that's going to happen. Doesn't seem like they're going that route so far, though. Who knows with this show? They constantly try to surprise us. Uh, Ted's son distracts their talk, though, by flying the damn drone indoors. Could have seen that one coming. Yep. They sign off, and Ted, who has built his entire day around doing this, is left sitting dejectedly alone, waiting for photos rather than his own experiences, while the always sad World War II song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, this version by Dean Martin, begins to play. Shout out, White Christmas. Uh, wonderful film. Wonderful film. With actually the original uh, singer of, the, of that of "I'll Be Home for Christmas," Bing Crosby in it. Uh, what Keely and Roy with the general? What? Well, yeah, a great one. We, yeah, we should watch that again at some point. Uh, Keely and Roy are talking with Phoebe, trying to make her feel better. With Roy wondering whether one of the Paw Patrol dies, dogs died, which made me laugh out loud. Such Tell a funny lie. That was really funny. It was really great. Keely compares problems to mushrooms. The longer they wait alone in the dark, the bigger they get. That's a memorable line right there. Surprised you've never heard that one before. And Phoebe reveals that a boy at school was mean to her, which immediately, and this is a recurring trend throughout the entire episode, brings on violently protective uncle out of Roy with just not even dropping a hat kind of moment. Who the fuck is Bernard? <laughs> Bernard apparently was her secret Santa and bought her a whole collection of oral hygiene products. 
having apparently told everyone at school that her breath is rancid. Bernard sounds like a bit of a little shit. Where does Bernard live? Roy, you're not going to go beat up a little kid. Why not? Why do you think, <laughs> fucking knobhead? She is so funny. She just like dismissively calls it. Why do you think, you fucking knobhead? We get to several moments of this episode and they never stop being funny. If Roy's to me, the reaction is, how do I go slaughter this child right now? And Keely has to keep him on the leash to stop him from doing so. But the funny part is that Keely anticipates the reaction, right? No oh, matter yeah. what's going on. She, then she turns to Roy and goes, Roy, what you're not going to do is go kick his ass. Like she just immediately jumps on it. Yeah. Keely moves to reassure Phoebe that Bernard was just being a little dickhead and that it certainly isn't true. And so she leans in for Phoebe to give her a full whiff. And Keely is nearly knocked off her feet. She has that moment of, I've got to keep this in for the sake of the child. No, I can't. Dear God. Falls to the side. Roy starts to castigate her for obviously making Feely feel even worse and moves in for his own sniff, reassuring Phoebe that he's had years of experience smelling worse in locker rooms everywhere. Keely, on the other hand, having experienced it, has her doubts. And when Roy finally smells, in a wonderful comedic moment, he desperately uses every ounce of resolve to keep his reaction in check before saying with pain in his voice, I think you might be dying. <laughs> Roy proceeds to gag in the background while Keely reassures Phoebe that this is a problem with the scale, that this isn't like a personal maintenance issue. There is a health reason for this. We need to go check that now. So, shouldn't feel bad, this isn't on you. Dr. Roy, Lee's diagnosing halitosis. Absolutely. Roy takes command of the situation, and the plan is they are going to go door-to-door -door in his stupid, posh neighborhood, and if they don't find a dentist in ten houses, he will give Phoebe and Keeley both 1,000 pounds each. Man, I'll tell you, Roy is really Scrooge on Christmas morning. I mean, he is just handing out money this episode. It is great. He does it several times. And I love Roy's, like, I need to be the adult take command of the situation kind of response to this, where I live in a rich neighborhood. There is a dentist somewhere. We're going to go find them now. Put on your coats. This is the, <laughs> this is the dad moment taking command. Uh, Sam and Higgins' youngest are cleaning up together, and they discuss the concept of Santa. With Sam reassuring the child that time zones and endurance training make all the difference in explaining strange time travel phenomenon. Enough need be said about that. I feel like that's every, like, every kid who's, like, starting to question Santa. That's, like, the last, like, gate before the whole, like, facade crushes is the, well, wait a second. It's still, wait, wait a second. I know it seems unreasonable given the fact that you're now becoming, like, sort of cognizant of how the world works. But let me explain. Time zones. Like, I had that one happen to me, too. And I was like, okay, I can hold on for another year with that one. Well, and the kid clearly wants to hold on to it a bit, a bit, a bit longer because he just accepts that with just a, a tooth-missing <laughs> gape of a mouth and just goes, oh, wow. No further explanation needed. He's carried through for at least another year. <coughs> the, the doorbell rings, and outside we have Danny, Jan, Richard, and... Danny Jan Richard and also a striking and truly towering model that we don't get an explanation for for about the next 10 minutes sure uh, they're there with uh, food, tequila and as said Richard's date who Higgins's other son Glass's son I'll refer to him as is immediately smitten by Danny has already spiked and referred to him by him as pre-cheeked his dish with tequila while Mr. Richard Punch. has brought which I'm not familiar with are you? Are you? Yeah, she's like punch. Oh, okay, fine, sure. Meanwhile, Richard has brought the most single French possible collection of things that he ever possibly could bring, which Higgins' wife is overjoyed about, and Higgins accepts with good grace. Foie gras, champagne, and fancy stinky cheese. 
Absolutely. Meanwhile, Jan brought fried chicken. Woo! Which I'm down with, but apparently he kind of broke the trend by not following a, following a tradition of bringing something from your own home. Zoro arrives at the same time with his own dish, and we are getting a very international culinary experience here at the Higgins house, as they all determined to get drunk the day before their boxing game match. Which I yes, think is kind of tradition. Sure, we don't need wins this season. It's great. Everybody's having fun. Probably the other team's going to be drunk too, so whatever. Uh, Ted is in his room, meanwhile, and is sitting alone, drinking alone, sadly watching the darkest moments of the quintessential Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, alone. Specifically, Oof, the near-suicide uh, scene of our main character, George Bailey. It's not a good moment, and Ted, even with this not being a good moment, seems to be especially oddly torn up by this particular near-suicide scene, possibly leading credence to your theory you offered an episode or two, or two back. Yeah, well, theory being that Ted's dad actually killed himself. I think we're getting more ammunition for that possible scenario. We'll find out. Man, my theories are getting a lot of, like, bullets in the chamber this episode. Tell, I'm telling you. K- kudos, kudos, man. The brilliance is on, pl- is on display. Luckily, interrupting this very somber moment, there is a sound at his window. As Rebecca is out front having used tinsel rather than players to spell Hey Ted. A wonderful call. It's great. It's very heartwarming. They it discuss really is. Te- They discuss Ted's disappointing day, and she tells him that he should go get his coat. Keep the hat on, though, because he's coming with her. They walk down the street together. Very pleasant moment between these two. Love the scenes that they're in together throughout this episode. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that like the, the theory that I have that these two are going to end up together... Uh, definitely gets a lot of credence this episode. That's the last time I'm going to mention it because I think that we can continue to discuss it, putting that theory aside and just talking about just how heartwarming the interaction is, regardless of what happens in the future. It's just a really good feeling like sequence of events with these two characters. I really, yeah. I really think it drives the episode. It does. This is one of basically three separate Christmas movies we get. We get Ted and her hanging out, and uh, we'll see a little bit what they're doing. We get the Higgins household, and then we get Roy Keeley and Phoebe on their odyssey to find a dentist. Those yes. are our three Christmas movies that do not really overlap significantly until the end, Tell and they're know. all great in their own ways. Uh, they're out. Ted's offering some possible Ted theories about where the hell they might be going before they come up upon some buskers who are singing Last Christmas by Wham!, did you know that that word busker? I'm familiar with the word busker. I've heard that word before. I had never heard of it. I had to look it up when I when I saw it on my my closed caption. Well, well, I had to look up the movie there now reference here because Ted then brings up the film once, which I looked up as a 2007 Irish romantic musical drama film set following a busker in Dublin, which I'd never even heard of, but apparently that these two characters love. Okay, you you, st- you sort of jumped my my uh, sports center top ten with that one. I will just go ahead and mention the one small factoid I have on one here once. for everybody. Once for everybody. Uh, and that, that is that it cost a cool $150,000 to make that movie, if you can believe it. And it made $25.3 <laughs> million at the box office. You talk about a good investment. Holy well shit. done for them. Uh, they enjoy the buskers for a minute before they offer their own, I'll say, relative income level tips to the buskers, which is Ted throwing some, uh, presumably dollar coins from his pocket in there. Still a generous tip. Well, Rebecca just grabs a wad of cash and just tosses it into the hat. Those were hundreds. Like, she probably gave them like a thousand. Like uh, there, there were some incredible. tens. It was mixed coin. It was mixed things. But yeah, it was an impressive amount of money that she just dropped there because she didn't know what to give. We get, They immediately have to break character in response to that because that's overwhelming their hat. 
And we get the immortal line from Ted, Guess that's what I get taking a tinkle next to John Holmes. Did you get, did you understand what his joke was there? No, fire away. John Holmes was a famous porn star in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah, 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 John Holmes. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It yeah, was it's both famously... It's a penis-sized joke. Famously prolific and famously endowed. Funny joke. It's also really fun to see these two interact. Where season one, she was only, like, politely just to kind of not be confused by Ted's jokes. Every little Tedism here, she seems like she's actually laughing to and enjoying now. She's getting yeah, used to Ted and his stuff. really enjoying Ted's company today. Yep. Um... It's revealed that whatever mission she's actually on, she actually drove herself. Didn't know that was an option, apparently. Uh, while they're getting ready, the old man fan, because we see everybody that we've not seen previously this season show up at some point here this episode, walks by to call Ted a wanker and flip him the bird, but still wish him a Merry Christmas because they have a weird relationship, which leaves Rebecca kind of legitimately flabbergasted. Yeah, it was a funny moment. She, Did he just call you a wanker? Like, she's, like, mad on his behalf. And he's like, ah, it's fine. Basically, everybody does it. One thing I will note is that, yes, she is driving herself. But she's driving one of those big American black SUVs. Those things are not common in, in Great Britain. Like, that no. would stick out. Like, what she's, like, that big, like, explorer or navigator or whatever it is. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a big-ass car. Uh, Roy, Keeley, and Phoebe are starting their dentist odyssey. Uh their first door, a young boy opens the door because apparently in the UK, uh, it's a child's job to open the door on Christmas because that's basically every door they open. There's a kid there. Okay, so sure. I'd like to. I'd like to say I think this is a this is more parallels. Their story is basically they're they're following a parody Love of Love Actually because yes, when the Prime Minister is played by Hugh Grant is going around to all of the homes. Many times he he knocks on the door. He's looking little for kids. his former assistant. It's little kids who open the door. Exactly. Yeah. And the, yeah. and their first question is always, "Are you carolers?" So unlike in this, Roy is yeah. not going to damn you, well sing the way yeah. the, the way the prime minister and his bodyguard did delightfully in Love Actually. Uh, first door asks whether the parties respectively confirm that there are both no carolers and no dentists present. So they begin to walk away with Phoebe fully embarrassed by what they're doing. Roy. Five-star uncle that he is stoops down to her to reassure that while she may find this embarrassing, embarrassing for him is eating too much ice cream at a birthday party despite his own lactose intolerance issues to the point that he pooped his pants on the bus ride back home. Keely swoops in. Finish your story. (laughs) Three weeks ago. Love that moment. Perfect timing. Finish your story. Three weeks ago. I also point out that he was not just eating ice cream. He was eating a Spencer favorite ice cream cake. Well done. Uh, Phoebe laughs because it's hilarious. And they are all even more determined to persevere with their mission. The boy at the door has apparently not walked away, though, and is just shocked to hear that Roy Kent pooped his pants. Roy stands up to, you know, what about it? The boy reveals that he's had his own problems with the subject. And continuing a trend of Roy being great with kids, Phenomenal. they have a come-together kind of moment that... This is a problem that we're now going to mutually... We are going to overcome our mutual pants pooping problem. They have and share that moment, and then our trio set off once again. It's just amazing so how great. quickly good Roy is with kids around him. Yeah, uh, he just completely changes gears. He goes, well, let's both try and knock it off then, shall we? And, it, you know, you can see the kid just inspired. A, that he admitted this thing that's embarrassing and that Roy Kent didn't make fun of him, right? That's a big deal for kids. What? And that they actually connected about it. Like, this is this is probably huge for this kid. 
Yeah, and it's also it also really hammers home how much Roy has progressed, progressed, grown, and even become more mature. That he doesn't really care that much about what th people think about him. This is an embarrassing story, but he immediately offers it not only to help his niece, but then share it with this kid that he just met to make him feel better too. Yeah. Man, the man's the man's he already started far, and he's only come even farther. Uh, at Higgins's place, the. Various players, including particularly Danny and Zorro, are recreating, I'd say, every war movie ever with Nerf guns. Including the famous, tell my wife I love her, you'll tell her yourself. Then adding in the line, and then you'll, and then you'll hook me up with her identical beautiful twin sister. They charge out, determined only for Higgins' youngest to bring out an automatic Nerf gun and lay waste to them entirely with high-powered Nerf. This, this this reminded me of you that many times we've gotten together with our friends, like significantly into adulthood, and you, you have been like the leader in the Nerf gun fight, which I've always found very fun. Oh. Uh, I also this this scene also reminded me of the paintball episodes in Community. I don't know if you oh, ever yeah. saw those, mm -hmm. uh, where they kind of like take a break from the plot in much the same way this episode does, and they just like have this paintball like war. Those are brilliant episodes, by the way. But this little vignette kind of reminded me of it. This was right my wheelhouse. I've gotten to the point now where I'm actually known by set groups of children, whether I'm related to them or not, as the Nerf gun uncle. Because they just assume I've got Nerf guns in my trunk that I'm going to bring out for that for them to have fun whenever I visit. That's a good place to be, the Nerf gun yeah. uncle. Uh, Rishad is playing a video game soccer. I presume probably playing him himself, though I couldn't tell for sure. With another one of Higgins' sons. Uh, while the glasses wearing Higgins' son stares longingly at Richard's date as she sensuously eats sweets to the tune of Santa Baby by Eartha Kid. Sam asks Richard, uh, dude, why did you bring a date to a team party? To which Richard basically explains that the French believe that having a beautiful woman around is always a good thing. Both I and Higgins' son are in full agreement on this point, kudos to the French tradition. But... Jan offers that, uh, well, Charles Manson may have different ideas in that regard, referencing the Helter Skelter murders. Dear God, Jan, there's there's not having a censor and that. But sure. Pretty, pretty funny retort, I thought. That would have yeah, cracked me up. It, it, yeah, it was funny, but it's just... Wow. Yeah. Uh, three more... <laughs> yeah. Three more players arrive who I don't think we know the number, the names of, and Bubbercatch may be one of them. Um... And Higgins' wife comments on how popular Higgins is getting, which is just heartwarming to see. They're and I think it's true. I think Higgins is more integrated with the team now than he's ever been. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, it, it's great to see it. The tradition is becoming a whole new thing, and the room is rapidly filling up. The problem is, while they've got enough food and drink available for everybody, uh, sitting, sitting and table space are rapidly reaching a premium price. Which Which reminds me of like my my grandma's Sunday dinners. Like she had a little table with about seven places, and a ha family of about forty. Uh, so we were eating on our laps. A lot of eating on your laps at grandma's <laughs> Sunday dinner. Well, as we will see later, the Higginses find a way around that option, and it's fun to see it played out. Ted and Rebecca have now arrived at their first destination with a truly massive bag of Santa presents. Hell yeah. Massive Santa bag full of presents. While it's beginning to look like a lot like Christmas plays, I think I also have recognized the voice correctly. This is actually the version by Harry Connick Jr. Sure, why not? I'm down with it. The two of them are excited as they knock on the door, but the young black girl that opens the door, again, continuing the trend of only children can open doors on Christmas in the UK, promptly screams, Mom, there are two white people at the door and they're smiling. <laughs> 
What trauma has this girl already endured? Rebecca reveals that they are elves responding to her letter to Santa with a massive fucking bag of presents. Ted offers some detailed explanations of the cause of the delay and the world tour that the presents went on. And the Everybody seemed... blames Rudolph. Everybody. Absolutely. Clearly. Clearly the guy got way too much press early and now everyone's just trying to bring him down. This is what this is how this happens. Unbelievable. The girl seems to love the Ted's story almost as much as she loves the presence with her delightful delightful line. The actress says this line perfectly. Am I getting notes of Beijing? She's fully invested and I love that already. And everyone, overjoyed, wonderful Christmas moment, happily departs. I love that the mother like comes to the door like, what? And then sees them and realizes, oh, this is oh. that program that I signed up for that now Rebecca is funding and participating in. Oh my God, thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. The kid's going to remember this for years to come. You've made Christmas. Uh, continuing to our other story, uh, while the Home Alone version of Carol of the Bells plays, uh, which I looked it up, this version was actually composed by John Williams. Because yeah, it's a particularly not? dramatic one. Yeah. Like, it is a real dramatic Carol of the Bells. Yeah, it's a great version. I love it. It's the quintessential Home Alone version that always I love whenever I hear it. But I, t I should have known John Williams wrote this because it's in definitely his wheelhouse. Uh, Roy, Keely, and Phoebe are trying and continuing to find a dentist door-to-door -door without success, interspersed with moments of Ted and Rebecca continuing to deliver presents to children throughout the city with decidedly more success. Three, uh, at the same time, three more players arrive at the Higgins residence with even more international food, and dear God, is it a party now. At the tenth house... Keely and Phoebe come to the realization that they truly can't lose. Either A, they find a dentist and cure a problem, or B, they get a thousand pounds each. Win-win. The, the brilliance of the plan of Roy. That was, that yeah. was a brilliant plan. Yeah, he, that, that is a plan that gets people motivated. No matter how this plays out, a good result occurs. Roy, in that hand, is moving slow and struggling to catch up, having to pop his damn knee back in place to continue along with their journey. Sheesh, he did, he did need to retire. I, I questioned the Roy retirement after the season-ending injury in the last season, but no, uh, I think he needed to retire. This is why this guy didn't go to play in the U.S. It's like, no, 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 that thing's just kind of floating there now, apparently. Uh, at this new place, an adult, finally an adult, which we should have notable that, oh, this is going different, opens the door, and upon confirming that he is Roy Kent and she is a dentist, they kind of just force their way in. It's like, okay, we're here now, and get head on indoors. Yeah, that seemed to me like uh, they're both celebrities, so they yeah. just kind of assume we, people will let them in their homes. We get to walk into your home now, and you get to treat us. This is how celebrity works. The dentist examines Phoebe while it appears to be a modern version of Deck the Hall's plays, and even the dentist is kind of blown back by Phoebe's breath. She inquires into recent changes in Phoebe's lifestyle and medications, and the problem is discovered. She's been on antihistamines for the new cat they got, Dauphine, which have dried out her mouth, reduce, dried out her mouth, reducing saliva production and allowing, allowing an ideal environment for odor-producing bacteria to occur. Perfect explanation. Mom probably should have noticed it earlier, but these things happen, and they can be treated. The dentist's first recommendation, though, one that Roy immediately gets behind is, well, get rid of the cat. What? Uh, as Roy says, they've only Are had it for a month. Are you kidding me, Roy? But, uh, according to Phoebe, they're soulmates, and Keely speaks up for her that getting rid of the cat is not an option, as Roy is neither insane nor a monster, despite his suggestions. That was such a funny quote. Phoebe, no one's going to make you get rid of Dauphine, okay? 
because that would be an insane thing for your uncle who loves you and who is not a monster to suggest. <laughs> Keeping in the vein of the whole murdering the children thing that he previously went with. So funny. Uh, another solution is pondered while Keeley takes the opportunity to thank the family that's apparently at Christmas dinner for it then to be revealed that we have stumbled into the home of the Ussy Kid. Yeah, everyone, everyone that's been referenced on this show shall return. That's how it works. Who immediately requests an Ussie, not with Roy, who was rubbish at Richmond, but with Keeley, who, in his words, very carefully selected that they are, was a seminal figure in his teenage years. And you know what? Keeley, pro that she is, just takes this like, boom, I, yep, I get this a lot. But I'm not going to take a one-on-one -on -one picture with this kid for the Spank Bank material. Instead, we're all going to do it together. Yeah, let's One do it. One big family picture. Yeah, which I love that Roy, through gritted teeth, debating the murder of another adolescence, just, how about we do it under the tree? <laughs> uh, as this is happening, dinner is being shared at the Higgins household with a completely delightful long pan shot of the massive impromptu, I think I saw a, you know, drying table kind of smuggled in there of all these just accumulation of every flat surface in these home which has which has vaguely the same height commandeered for the purpose of a truly massive christmas dinner uh while this is playing i think there's an instrumental version of up on the housetop which is playing in the background roy also has now recruited another member of that family apparently a pharmacist to go get medicine and poster board for a massive amount of you do what i say kind of cash to get him to do this thing yeah he's just he's just floating cash all episode well he starts with the medication and then he just gets an idea uh when keely says see doesn't it feel better to solve the problem and go beat up a little kid Roy, mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. thinks and goes hmm we can't go beat up the little kid but, but... do you have to poster board at a marker sir yeah given that we've been living love actually so far let's tell another story that was happening in that movie right now time to do it uh, while they're doing this, Ted and Rebecca are discussing how awesome, and truly it is awesome, that Rebecca does this, and has apparently been doing it for years before Rupert, and only stopped because Rupert. Uh, even last year, when she was no longer with him, she kind of just sat by herself alone at home, drinking and plotting horrible things. To which Ted immediately quips, oh yeah, like what? Apparent to the <laughs> audience what was going on there. She, from this, she knows all too well how stunningly shitty the first Christmas after getting divorced can be. And so she took the time to want to be there with Ted to make sure his was better than hers was. I just wanted oh. to make sure you're okay. That was the line. It's Good line. a wonderfully heartwarming moment. This is the things friends do. This is what Flo did for her, what we saw last season. It's a great moment. Uh, Ted is clearly doing a lot better now and a lot better than he would have been doing if he'd stayed at home. But... He expects their night is do their night is over. That he's going to be dropped off at home, and she's going to go to Elton John's party. However, she doesn't seem as inclined to go to go anymore. Uh, partly because even as awesome as Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz's puppet show is, in her words, she mostly just wants to see them fuck. Funny response here from Ted. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I get, I, I get, I get that. Any other yeah. ideas? <laughs> totally on, fumbles. On, on, Holy shit. Rebecca, once again, has other plans in mind, and the two of them set off with a brief confusion over what, what side you drive on in the UK. You uh, want me to drive? The steering wheel's on this side. Right, right, I'm the one with the accent here. <laughs> That's how that works. Uh, Phoebe, Roy, and Keeley have arrived outside of Bernard's house, 
to recreate a scene from Love Actually with even Silent Night playing on a phone. Where I got, all the, I got all the cards. You want me to do it? Please give me all the cards. Okay, here it is. We start. Kid Bernard opens the door. Here are the cards. I'll say them all to you. Say it's carol singers. That one is directly from Love Actually. Absolutely. Bernard, you hurt my feelings. Shame on you. A very nice dentist prescribed medicine. That should fix my stinky breath in 48 to 72 hours. However, unless you make thoughtful amends, you will stink forever. And you'll have to deal with him and her. I'm so sorry. I forgive you, but please do better. Merry Christmas. It's apparent that Bernard, like so many kids that are, he's not a bad kid. He just didn't think about this. He just did it. Because he's, he's immediately throughout all this chastened and clearly feels bad. And takes the, takes this opportunity to seemingly honestly apologize to Phoebe. Which she accepts it's all she wanted. They, having accomplished everything they set out to do tonight, head off triumphantly while Fairy Tale of New York plays by the Pogues. To celebrate their achievement. I love that song. Back at the Higgins dinner. Let's, we're not done with, heart, with heartfelt moments yet, sir. We've got a couple more left. Higgins offers a toast. Woo. Sam's already celebrating. And he thanks his family. He thanks the players. And then he takes the opportunity to thank all of the players' families in each of their hometowns, which he names by heart, throwing them all out there, which everybody immediately loves and celebrates. He says it's an honor to have them all here to share traditions and make new ones, concluding... To the family we're born with, and to the family we make along the way. A wonderful sentiment. But also, to Richmond! Richmond! Out front, though, the evening is not done, because Rebecca has apparently hired that busker trio we saw earlier, and arranged with Ted for a hell of a caroling experience. Uh, Hannah Waddingham, with a little help, apparently from Jason Sudeikis, I wonder if that's his actual singing voice or not, who knows? Then shows off her pipes and belts out a powerful rendition of Christmas Baby Please Come Home. Ho, 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 Higginses! And while Santa, friggin' Santa, apparently flies over, which would be in any other show just utterly cheese, but in this show still comes across as charming, everyone comes outside joining the celebration, Higgins is playing his upright bass, everybody's dancing, everyone's singing. The celebration continues as our wonderful... Christmas, British, proper British Christmas film set in the Ted Lasso universe comes to an end. It's the end of Charlie Brown. That's what we got there. Great job with the recap, Spencer. Shorter than average episode for this season. We're at 29.17 for this episode. So it's a short episode. Makes sense. You know, it, mm-hmm. was, a, it was a standalone Christmas episode. Um, I'm glad that they did it. I think it was successful. Uh, I was a little disappointed. I kind of was interested in the plot and moved the plot forward. But I think I'll enjoy this one as we get closer to Christmas. I'll throw this on December 23rd and I'll get back into the world of Ted Lasso with my favorite characters celebrating Christmas. This feels like an episode that if you just want to recommend somebody, hey, you want to know what Ted Lasso feels like without getting really integrally involved in the plot? Pick this one. It's a one-off. It's utterly removed from the rest of the plot of the series. It's just the characters being the characters and having fun and being charming. Watch this. It gives you a taste of Ted without really getting too much having to get invested in where the plot's going. Yep. 
Sure does. Okay, I think we can move on to our next segment, which is train wreck of the episode. Tough one to award here in the heartfelt episode, the heartfelt Christmas holidays episode of the of Ted Lasso. But, but you have said, Spencer, we cannot scrap the episode. Uh, the cannot scrap the segment. We have to move forward with the segment. We have to award train wreck of the episode. Do you have any nominees? I have a recommendation, uh, and it's a partial one, reflecting the fact that everybody seems like they end up well in this episode. Ted's plan for Christmas. Uh, seems like it was a train wreck and the man was going on a train wreck except it was then Rebecca that swooped in and pulled him off the tracks but that was a train wreck waiting to happen and it was only by sheer miracle and good friends that he was able to get out of that direction so I'll offer that of that had all the hallmarks of a train wreck we even got to see some of them but they found a way out of it I'll actually award it to a person train wreck of the episode for me goes to Ted's son uh, crappy gift with the small dartboard doesn't even work. Ted tries to throw the dart, doesn't even work. Terrible bounces gift. Bounces off, yeah. Two, he very like he gets the gift and immediately ignores his father. Almost breaks the computer on the way. Then uses the gift that his father gave him to immediately create havoc in the home, which stops his mother from even talking to his father for just a few brief moments. This kid is a Tasmanian devil. This episode, he's out of control. Somebody needs to discipline him. Uh, train wreck of the episode, I say. Ah, fair enough. Let's throw it at children on Christmas. I'm down. I'm down with this. <laughs> All right, we move on to our next segment, Sports Center Top Ten, where we name ten, not nine, not eleven, ten on the nose things we liked about the episode. Spencer, I want to start. I've got something I want to do. I'm glad I'm finally able to memorialize this on a podcast. This Please. is something I carry around with me year after year. Pretty much every friend I have who's been near me around the holidays has heard this rant. I'm ready to give it to you and the people. We're going to memorialize it finally. And that is my Love Actually rant. Okay, here go we on, go. Go on, man. Go on. Every, every year I watch Love Actually. It's probably my favorite Christmas movie. It makes uh -huh. me cry every year. I do not mind saying I'm a crier. I will cry at that that um, that movie every year. Specifically, the people coming into the terminal, getting off the plane, and seeing their loved ones, and the music playing in the background mm -hmm. gets me every time. But there's one aspect of the movie that makes me effing crazy, and it is the one parodied in this episode. It is the <laughs> guy, the guy showing up. His friend is now married. This is his friend's wife. Yeah, and he says. Tell him it's carol singers. Why? Because we are going to deceive him for a while while I profess my love to you, which, by the way, where were you months and months ago to say this? As if, what is the famous line, Spencer? Rest, speak now or forever, hold your peace. Yep. That guy needed to start holding well, his peace. We, and he we, continues. He he gets the, he does this whole thing, which is like too saccharinely cute. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. He is having no respect for his friend. This is, by the way, this guy is not his best friend. I don't know who his best friend is, but it certainly he, isn't this guy. Because he, he's he was the, he was the, the best man of the. He was the best man at the wedding. Yeah, they can say that, but that's not his best friend because this is not a best friend move at all. Then what does the wife do? Instead of saying, "Hey, uh, this is inappropriate. I'm going to go tell my husband now, and he's going to know about this because he should know about this." What does she do? She kisses him. Unbelievable. follows him to kiss him, too. Unbelievable. And we're supposed to believe that these three can just hang out? Kumbaya? Akuna Matata the rest of the time? No problems? This is never going to come up again? It's not going to be awkward at any point? Give me a break. That's my love, actually, Rand. I do not like now, that aspect of the movie. Now, now, just to throw it out there, to offer a bit of a, not not a counterpoint, but just a completion of the uh, kind of, si of the situation that's going on here. This isn't, 
it isn't like he's just throwing this out there out of nowhere. The last scene the two of the characters, him and the wife, shared was her finding out about his infatuation with her that he'd been keeping secret for a while. Which led to them breaking apart and now being awkward between them. So this is being framed as, let's kind of complete that conversation and get this out there so that we can get past it. Now, uh, you've clearly always right. thought that was bullshit. But, well, that's because what they're going most, with. Well, because most people watch it and they think of themselves as the guy with the poster board or the girl who's reading the poster board. You don't think about the husband at all. No, think about the guy sitting upstairs, nah. Nah. not knowing that his friend and his wife are kissing in the middle of the street. Unbelievable. It's so disrespectful. I, nah. I don't appreciate that part. He's a minor character. Their feelings don't matter. Yeah, apparently so. All right. What do you have on the Sports Center Top 10? Uh, our increasingly growing realization of what Rebecca was like before we first met her. That our, ah. not seeing the tradition that she regularly engaged in, finding out in the past about how much of fun that she is, seeing how much more her willingness to be silly has improved over the course of the series, we're getting to see the real Rebecca that Flo talked about, that is generous, that is kind, that is supportive, stinky. that loves to help others. Stinky. Proper stinky. And that's just great to see. It was previously just talked about, but this season in particular, we're getting to see it in motion. And it's really heartwarming to see what kind of person that she was, that in her words, she locked up in an ivory tower of Rupert's making. Uh, okay, my next one is Jan hits the retort. That was not true with the Helter Skelter murders. I think we have to talk about the Manson murders. <laughs> Do we? Do we really? Yeah, we do. Not Fine, go into Tate. Go on. Not everybody's going to know about these. These are actually, he calls them the Helter Skelter murders. That's not the That's real not the name term. of it. It's the That's... Tate LaBianca murders. Uh, little just brief explanation of what happened here. Uh, if you're 30 years older than you and I are, Spencer, you know about this uh, uh -huh. intimately. But some folks in our, our age group probably don't know about it. So uh, basically, Charles Manson created a cult, cult of personality, and he had some young women who were kind of around him. He had these like vague dreams of being like a musical artist. He actually knew like one of the Beach Boys, and he got these women around him, and in a absolutely batshit crazy plan to create a, get this, this is true, a race war. war. Yeah. He got these girls, along with his buddy Tex Watson, to go to the home this is a one zero zero five zero Celio Drive, very famous address now, where the movie actress Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, ugh, and the film director Roman Polanski were her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, a noted celebrity hairstylist. Polanski's friend, uh, I'm not going to try that name, um, and girlfriend Abigail Folger, heiress to the Folgers Coffee fortune, by the mm -hmm. way, and. Uh, Came in there and murdered a bunch of people, basically. Uh, uh, Roman, Roman Polanski got, got out of there. there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. The what? Yeah, of course he gets out. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, we have to save Roman Polanski. This, this moment, we're allowed to feel bad for him, man. It was a rough day, I'm sure. He'd lost his wife and unborn child. Let's, Just saying. Come on. We, Give, in come retrospect, on. In retrospect, you're like, oh, come on. No, come no on. retrospect. He's, his wife and child got murdered. We can feel bad for him here. It's okay. Okay, well, yeah. But we shouldn't let anyway Roman Polanski not a good guy yeah Wikipedia a lot of other problems with that dude yeah not a good dude uh, anyway they were murdered in a very horrific way and there was this big high profile trial and the crazy part about this trial is this is not going to sound crazy to you Spencer as a lawyer you know the law but mm -hmm. to the rest of the world we were looking at this going well how are you going to put Manson in jail he didn't actually do it 
That's that was the that was what people were thinking. They were thinking yeah. he didn't commit the murders. These women did. Why is he going to jail for the rest of his life? Now, you as a lawyer, I'm going to give you just a few seconds to explain to everybody why that was an appropriate thing to do. Well, conspiracy to commit murder and also arranging for a murder are their own separate crimes, but which you can find equally culpable for them. I and mean, just even something thing people need to remember that even the act of just committing a felony that a murder occurs in, you're all guilty of murder just because it happened. Murder is not just the guy that pulled the gun can get charged for murder. It's going to be much broader in terms of who instigates and who brings about and who causes actions to occur. And that's what happened here, and hence why, both because of that and also because he would totally murder other people if they ever let him out, Charles Manson remains, remains in prison. He Actually, did he, until he, he, he died, died recently. Yeah, he, yeah, he died. But uh, funny thing about Charles Manson is he didn't get parole, obviously, up until the year 1997 when he decided he would no longer go to his parole hearings. So he just wouldn't show up for them. Anyway, what? he died in prison. And Tex Winter or Tex Watson, I mean, is still in prison to this day. Yeah, and fun fun thing for uh, a lot of his parole hearings, he would just arrive having carved a fresh swastika into his forehead for his parole hearings. So, seems like he viewed most of them as theater anyway. So, what I successfully did with that segment of the Sports Center Top 10 is take the lovely, heartwarming, charming episode of Ted Lasso and got into the weeds on the Manson murders. You're welcome, everyone! I guess I'll say bravo. Didn't think you either you or the episode would be able to pull that one off. Um, one thing I loved, and it's something I love for, for, me, for uh, get-togethers like this, Everybody bringing their own dish that's either from their family or from their culture or from their prior experiences to the event. Don't just bring what you think people want. Don't just bring what, you know, everybody's going to enjoy. Bring something that's actually new. Bring something that's personal to you that tells its own story to the event. That just completes a fun get-together kind of experience if you really have something like that to offer. It seems like for this, everyone did, and it makes for what looks like an absolutely beautiful table that everyone gets to enjoy. That's a really good one. Uh, next, I'll go to Beard's reference of a pagan Christmas ritual at Stonehenge. <laughs> Spencer, do you want to offer? Do you have any batshit crazy theories for how Stonehenge got made, or uh, do you want to be just go into the description? Go into the description because honestly, it's the same thing as anything was made during that period. They had a lot of time and a lot of human labor, and it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're not paying people. Yeah, or aliens, or it could have been aliens. No! So it's a prehistoric monument on Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire, England. It's about two miles west of Amesbury. It consists of an outer ring of vertical standing stones, each around 13 feet high, 7 feet wide, weighing around 25 tons. These things Mm -hmm. are huge. Topped by connecting horizontal lintel stones uh, inside a small ring of smaller blue stones. Archaeologists believe it was constructed between 3000 B.C. to 2000 B.C., uh, radiocarbon dating suggests that the first bluestones were raised between 2400 and 2200 BC, although they may have been at the site as early as 3000 BC. So these things are really, 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 really old. Yeah, these, these are contemporaries of the Great Pyramids kind of things here. These are ancient, this is an ancient structure. But there's a pagan ritual there because there's all kinds of theories about where Stonehenge we, came we, from, ranging everything no from the devil, the devil to superhuman powers to just aliens came down and for whatever reason decided to make this thing and leave. My personal house theory is maybe they just wanted to make something pretty. We do that all the time. Why do we have to assume it was something more than that? Also, the idea that it was associated with the solstice also seems possible. Who could say? Yeah, or, or aliens. Or aliens. Uh, 
Last one for me, and something that's always been hammered in my head, proper, proper dental care, people. If your breath starts to smell like that, that's not something you keep hidden. It's not something you'd be ashamed about. This is a medical issue that you need to address. Go to the dentist every six months. They are your friend. And this is me who never goes to doctors telling you this. Yeah, and this is another, this is an Uncle Lee to the Kids Out There segment. If you know someone and their breath stinks, pull them aside. Say, hey, look, bud, you know you and I are friends, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to clown you. But your breast stinks right now. You might want to handle it. Like that is an okay thing to do to your friends, to your significant other, anyone you know. Don't do it to a stranger. But anyone you know, it's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Yeah, you're not you're not being rude. You're being polite. You're helping them. You're helping them deal with something that otherwise can embarrass them later with somebody that's less polite than you. Now, notice I say pull them aside and then preempt it by saying, "Hey, look, man, I don't mean this at all negatively. I'm just telling you." Now, now I heard this from you. I heard you. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, now, we have an, an alternative scenario where a Bernard uh, buys her a gift and tells everyone that her breath is rancid. Is that kind of in the same vein as what you're recommending? And where does Bernard live? I'm, ta- I'm getting, <laughs> picking notes of no. <laughs> what a dick. Uh, but, you know, it's something a kid would do. And it's on. It's absolutely on brand that he would turn on a dime as soon as somebody points out that yeah. he was being made. And that's one of the things we learn. Oh, practical advice. Learn not to begrudge kids. They just don't think. They don't know. They're not being assholes the way adults are. They just do things. And then things happen. And then they realize when they're called to the carpet that, oh, that was kind of a shit thing to do. I've now gained a learning experience that I actually lacked before. Yeah. All right. Final one for me. Mele Kalikimaka is a song that we hear. It's a Hawaiian-themed Christmas song written in 1949 by R. Alex Anderson. Song takes its title from the Hawaiian phrase "Mele Kalikimaka," which means "Merry Christmas." I can tell you this: the earliest recording of the song was Bing Crosby, the Andrews Sisters, in 1950. Uh, I will say this: um, mm-hmm. tough time for me with this one because you talk about like thinking about colonialism. <laughs> this is this is like rich white guys in the 50s, like apparently coming back from their time on the Big Island, saying, "Hey, I got a new phrase for you, Melly Kalikimaka." It just stinks of colonialism to me. It's hard for me to listen to that song without thinking about it. I don't know about you. I mean, yes, but it's also charming. It's one of those things where it's become so much part of nostalgia. Don't take this away from me, sir. Okay. Any any more from you? No, that's like 40. I mean, we, we, we did way too many. 10, 10 on the nose every week, not 9, not 11. There it is, our sports in our top 10. Anything you want to cover before we jump into Ted's Life Lessons of the Week? No, I'm looking forward to these, man. I want to hear all of them. Okay, first, um, never miss an opportunity to help a child. And that help can be everything from, man, kid fell down, scraped his knee, to things that are maybe a little bit more um, subtle, which is what Roy Kent did in this episode. You pooped your pants, Roy Kent. Yeah, so kid, I do sometimes, I do too sometimes, Roy. Well, let's both try and knock that off, shall we? Kid, Mm -hmm. if I can do it, you can do it. How great is that? He, he takes a moment. If you notice, he, and the actor does it really well. He, he sees that this kid has confided in him something that is obviously embarrassing, probably gets made fun of, but if not his family, definitely his friends. And he turns and he says, all right, I'm going to break for a second. I'm just going to talk right to this kid. He mm-hmm. locks in with him and says, me and you, we're going to do this together. Mm-hmm. So Roy can't not, ta- not missing an opportunity to be kind to a child. I, I, I challenge us all out there to do the same thing. And presenting it as a joint problem, which is a wonderful way of, getting, of helping people right there. Because you present it as something that we can overcome together, as something that we're both going through. Suddenly, it seems like it's a lot, bear, lot more bearable, a lot more easier. Uh, there's a path forward. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, really kind thing that he did there. And I'm sure it made that kid's day, week, month, year. It was a big thing for him. It's not like Roy planned it. He just busted that out on the fly. Kudos to Roy. Rebecca says to Ted, she knows how stunningly shitty the first Christmas after you get divorced can be. I just wanted to make sure you're okay. Um, so, I, you know, I just wanted to make sure you're okay thing. I mean, that's that's obviously those two showing how, and I'm not even talking romantically here, just, just close they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to focus on the first part of that sentence, how stunningly shitty the first Christmas after you get divorced can be. Um, something to remember for everybody out there. The big holidays, the big birthdays after big negative life events, where there'd be divorce, death in the family, uh, maybe a move you didn't want to do, something happening with your child, maybe negative, any of these negative life events that are like really seismic, take note of that in your friends and then take notice when all of these these milestones come up. And part of those milestones are first Christmas, first birthday, whatever afterwards. And maybe make an effort to be kind because that's a, that's a time for most people where that pain, that trauma comes back to them and they really have a tough time with it. So uh, shout out to Rebecca here. She's doing it because she, in part because she knows from personal experience how this feels, but it's also a very thoughtful thing to do and say, okay, I know Ted got divorced. I know this is his first Christmas afterwards. He's probably struggling. Let me try to help him. That's the type of mental math that uh, good friends do. Oh, yeah. and Ted should have known better on this point, but it's perfectly reasonable that he didn't. That the worst moments you ever have are the ones you spend alone for things like this. That I don't know about you, but those moments where I've had like a breakup, I've had a bad situation like that, and then this kind of holiday occurs and I decide I'm just going to be alone during it. Those are some of the worst decisions I've ever made and just in terms of how unpleasant a time I make for myself in those. You do nothing but stew. Yeah, and you know, probably housing whiskey like midday by yourself eh, too. Eh, yeah. um, look, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying it's it's probably not good. Um, we, so do, yeah, do, he was on a very negative path there, which he admitted. He said I was on a negative, uh, I was going down a dark place. He admitted that. But uh, yeah, he, he was obviously struggling there what? and it was such an empathetic gesture from from Rebecca. Uh, can we tell, by the way, what he was drinking? I, I knew it was whiskey, but was he drinking scotch or what? I don't know. Out of the game, Spencer. I don't even know the labels anymore. Fair point. I couldn't tell. Uh, finally, we will say, um, here's a quote for you. I don't think I need to really explain this one all that much. Maybe we end the podcast with it, Spencer. To the family we were born with and the family we make along the way. I don't think more needs to be said there. Okay. Thank you for delving into a very interesting, very fun, very heartwarming standalone episode here. The Christmas episode of mm-hmm. Ted Lasso. We got it in season two, episode four. I don't know if they'll ever give us another Christmas episode, but we always have this one to go back on. I'm really appreciative that they did it. I am more appreciative that it got through that cemented dark heart of yours and actually made Spencer smile and you actually enjoyed it. I really appreciated that. We're going to memorialize this on the on the podcast because there are so many more pods we're going to do where it does not penetrate that dark heart. And I'm going to be trying to get through to you. And I might I might just hearken back to the Ted Lasso Christmas special. Now, dude, you know me. If this show for some reason ends poorly, you know how what effect my what effect it's going to have in my opinion of this episode. So yes. you know, better hope the show continues well. Season one, Game of Thrones, trash, trash because of season oh, eight. Right? I have never said that. You take that back. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, very fun episode. I really enjoyed doing the podcast with you, Spencer. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back with you next week here on The Lasso Lowdown with our review of Season 2, Episode 4. Until then, if you want to check out more of our content, just go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks, and we are right there for you with all of our various content, material, and podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.